Welcome back to another episode of the Irish Bear Show. Today I'm joined by EJ and Neil. We're going to be talking a bit NFL draft this week. Um, I guess the biggest kind of question that will kind of go on today is kind of talking about all the rumors around kind of the quarterback position, some of kind of the stories that we're not really talking about with the draft. But before we do this, uh, EJ, how are you getting on today? I couldn't be better. It's mid-Saturday, ramping up to draft season, tons to do, uh, but it's the best time of year for me. Uh, just so much fun, get to talk to so many cool people about one of the things that really shapes the league. So I'm, as you would say, grand. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Neil, yourself, It's we were talking beforehand that April is going to be a crazy month for rumors flying, all the work that we have to do. So how are you getting on on this great Saturday? You were telling me you were just watching the Dortmund and Stuttgart game before we popped on yeah, today. Yeah, man, you know what? I, I shouldn't be that happy about a win versus Stuttgart, but uh, hey, wins are wins and wins are good, man. You <laughs> yeah. know, hey, you know, Dortmund historically is one of those sides that plays down in their competition, and they did so again today. Went in, went into the halftime down one nil, and it looked like somebody ripped their ass. They ripped each other's asses at halftime, and they came out ready to rock and roll. So got two goals on the board real quick. And uh, finished up a uh, 3-2 win. So, I mean, still seven points behind, uh, you know, Frankfurt. But, uh, I mean, hey, there's a lot of games left to be played. Outside of that, I mean, April, man, it, it's going uh, to be a hell of a month. You know, and, you know, it, we, we all were just talking about how, you know, you, you, don't, you don't end up finding free time. You got to make time, I think is what you said, EJ. You got you to figure out a way yep. to make time. And, you know, it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to be more busy before, it, you know, the, the plates lighten up. So, um, I mean, can't be any more excited about it. Um, draft is, uh, what, just about three weeks away, and um, and it's the most wonderful time of the year for guys like us. Yeah, it's it's one of the kind of questions where we kind of do talk about time. I think this is a very weird time when we're actually discussing the draft because it's a year like no other where we've had many teams in college football not get to play for the entire season. Obviously, I think a lot of the talk goes around Trey Lance, who played one game this season. But again, where I want to start with you, EJ, is how difficult do you think it's been for both organizations and just scouts in general to really go through some of these players? Because the obvious ones, we're not going to be talking about the likes of Lawrence or Wilson because you have a lot of tape on that. But you know those players that really you start to notice them when it comes through kind of the senior bowl, you go through their tape then, you then see them at the combine to see does their athleticism match what's actually on the tape. But then this season, you don't get the combine. You're seeing some players get two pro days. How difficult do you think it would have been this season more than any others for scouts and a lot of these organizations? It's a great question. It's incredibly difficult this year. Um, some of the things we see, you mentioned the combine, less travel and representation at pro days. Um, and area scouts really live on that stuff. They live on the road. They live with their relationships on those campuses, getting to talk to coaches, fellow players, high school coaches. They haven't been able to do that by and large. There's a lot of restriction still uh, in the U.S., and rightfully so, but no combine. Uh, pro day numbers are eh, inflated. <laughs> They're always a little bit warmer than they are at the combine. Um, and there's a real thing about the combine. The combine is coming together, knowing that all eyes are on you, a ton of pressure, having to perform right after a guy that might have just killed it. And scouts put value in that as much as the numbers, right? How did this guy show up when the lights were the brightest, especially small school guys that maybe, like you said, you haven't seen or flashed at the at the senior bowl or one of the other all-star games? 
all that's gone. And then the one that really affects people is medical. And they had the first combine medical check yesterday for two days, which is nuts trying to get 300 guys with only two team representatives. Again, one, one team scout representative and one doctor trying to get medical on, you know, your board's not 300 guys, but even if your board is a hundred guys, that's 50 guys a day. There's only so many hours to go through and check injuries and, and follow up and see how things are healing guys that have had surgery. Normally they have over the course of a week to do that. It's still very busy time, but medical has been from what I'm hearing, medical has been extremely difficult this year. And folks that have a, well, two things, folks that have a medical strike are going to have a sort of larger flag on their board and teams that are more risk averse about injury uh, are going to shy away from guys entirely that they just don't feel that they're getting sort of the straight dope on in terms of, you know, how is this guy healing or, or did I get everything about his injury? So all of that adds up to, a lot more variance in the board. There's always variance in team boards. This is something that's hard for fans to understand. They think there's a consensus across the league. There rarely is. Some teams value certain things more than others. This year, that's just exacerbated because of all these other outside factors. So you said it's a year like no other, and they've had to adapt to that change in a very short period of time. Scouts, many of them are very rhythmic people <laughs> they they do the same thing it's about process and they want to you know apples to apples uh, they've had to change so much of that in the last 12 months that it really has upset the apple cart in a lot of ways so it's a fascinating year and it's going to be really crazy to see how that plays out during the draft yeah and i guess the other thing to kind of point out is the one thing you always hear about in terms of the combine meal is most teams actually take more from the interviews that's going on there and being able to kind of meet with these players in person. And I know last season in the draft, it kind of very quickly went from being able to meet with some of these prospects to having to do it over the likes of Zoom. Having to go through a whole draft process where teams continuously have to do this again, how difficult do you think it is where there are teams that really do need to kind of find out about the personality of a player? Because we, we always hear about all the big background checks that have to be done that they go back to kind of their high school coaches, they go back to people within the, even in their high school, in their college. And it's one of those, you think the fact that it wasn't a combine that they are having to organize these visits via zoom, that it actually takes away from some of the kind of analysis that they get on some of these players. Well, you guys hit on, on you know, the, the two most important points is that what the combine is about is the ability to get a kid up on the board and get him face to face and shake his hand, look him in the eye. Uh, you'll pick up on the body language stuff. And even during the process of the workouts, you see a lot of things in between reps that lead you on to you know, what, what kind of characters this kid have, his leadership, his on-field demeanor, all those types of things play a critical factor. The combine, you know, honestly, for, you know, uh, you know everybody that, that, that that's watching, the combine isn't about the numbers. What the combine is about is getting guys face to face, seeing all the stuff in between in between workouts, getting him in, in the room, putting him on the board, listening to him talk football, articulate himself. And really, honestly, for the guys that have stories, answer the questions. Right. The guys that have stories, you got to answer those questions and, and see if, if guys are going to uh, be forthright about, you know, their their past, about the red flags. If they're going to, you know, again, going back to whole looking you in the eye and, you know, man to man like type of stuff, it's critically important. And then the other part of that is the medical stuff, right? Being able to do all of that on site all together and get that done in one fail swoop so that you have all these, these, these things on paper and in the draft room 
while meetings are taking place over the course of the past week or two is critically important so that you can get your board organized ahead of time and not we're sitting here at April 10th, you know, at, at, at you know, two o'clock in the afternoon here in Chicago, you know, you're, you're not just now getting this information, right? So it, it, it's setting teams back a little bit. Everything has become a lot more cumbersome, right? And, um, you know, you know, again, like you, you, I went back to how the numbers aren't, aren't, uh, you know, as important. Um, not trying to say that, that they're completely, you know, useless, that the, the numbers are important. Let's, let's just go ahead and be honest about that. But what really, what really always comes back to is the film. All right. I always, I always, uh, look at combines and workouts and all these types of things as, uh, to be, to be used as affirmation and not confirmation, right? Yeah. Because all these scouts, what they should be doing, they should be good enough to the point to where they're able to see everything they need to say, see through the tape. And, and, you know, what, what it comes down to is guys like, like, like Davis Mills, like, I'm not sure he can run that fast, but he looks like he is fast at certain times. And when he goes and runs that four, seven, eight, you're able to say, yeah, okay. I, th I thought I saw that. I'm glad I saw that. He writes it down, puts a check mark next to his name and we're good to go. Right. You're, you're never going into combines. You're never going into workouts. You're never going into all this, this off season stuff thinking I got to start making decisions and I got to start making evaluations. Now, all your, all your evaluations are made prior to December. All this other stuff is is just cleaning things up, and the most important part is the medical stuff. Answering the the, the questions on the red flags, and seeing guys face to face, having these interviews, and really getting all that that uh, the, the mental makeup stuff down on paper. Yeah, it's a really important point that you make there about the kind of affirmation. It's the one thing you always hear when you kind of dig into it is that it's one of those that it's to kind of confirm what you thought that you see on tape that like you were mentioned that there's at times you see davis mills where he has enough speed but you want to know does he does he actually have it for when maybe a play breaks down and he needs to he needs to run the ball um so i've always taken it from that i know there's a lot of people that get very kind of hyped up on 40 times and and things like that especially the one i never understand is when we see 40 times for like offensive linemen when when's when are they gonna have to run 40 yards but mm -hmm. so it is one of those i think like we've mentioned before, I think it's more of the interview process. And like you said, EJ, the medicals, because you look at, at this point of the year, I think on a normal draft kind of season, we've heard so many different stories about medical red flags. We've heard so many different stories about people being really bad in interviews. And I don't know if, if it's just me in terms of kind of the kind of people that I follow on Twitter and on different social media. I haven't seen the same degree of that this season compared to last season. And EJ, do you think that is just because we're in kind of a delayed process where we're really only getting some of those medicals back now that the interviews, they can't, they haven't been able to, it's not as easy as when you're at the combine, it's basically one interview after another, after another. Yeah, they had that set up at the Senior Bowl. Luckily, Jim Nagy was able to pull off the Senior Bowl this year. And that was, everybody knew at that point. It wasn't like last year where it was like, what's going to happen? I went to the Senior Bowl the year before COVID. And everybody was just treating that as the first step in the process with the Combine to come. Well, by the time we got to the Combine, the world had changed. This year, everybody knew if the Senior Bowl went off, that was the time you were going to get FaceTime with, with, with these kids. So everybody went into that and used that. But... <laughs> There's, there's a thing that's been happening with interviews for years now, which is, you know, just about every prospect is coached and it's, they're not going to tell you a lot. If they have flags, their team has, you know, trained them on those answers, right? These are, these are multi-million dollar business transactions. They know what they're supposed to say. And the only real thing you get out of that 
and I would say it carries over to the numbers as well, is elimination, right? If you know that a player has an issue and he comes in and goes, I ain't going to talk about that. Like, that's a red flag, the fact that he didn't do his thing, right? He didn't do his homework or he doesn't want to, he's not willing to, whatever. If he comes in and gives you that very pat PR answer, it's kind of what you expected, but you're looking at delivery and everything else. And I would say the same thing about the numbers. You can get hyped up about a 40 time. It's okay. But what I've learned to use the combine for the older I've gotten is elimination, right? There are certain thresholds for certain positions. If a, if a defensive come defensive end comes in or an edge player comes in and he comes up and runs a three cone and that three cone is seven, four or above, there are no successful edges in the NFL that runs seven, four on a three cone. So was it a bad, was it a bad rep, right? Did he run faster at his pro day? Did the tape look like he can turn the corner or do you need to put a flag on that guy and say, I really, I need to go back with a fine tooth comb because nobody succeeds with this particular number. Same thing for arm length for offensive tackles, right? I don't think it's an absolute, but if an offensive tackle comes in, he measures 31 in the arms. There are no tackles in the offense in the NFL working under 33 inches nobody so you gotta be really sure if you're gonna go for that guy and you're not gonna take a chance on him higher so the interview thing it's zoom their coach they weren't getting a lot out of it anyways when you remove what neil talked about and that face-to-face the look in the eye the the body language stuff it's worth even less and the other thing about this period right now three to four weeks out is you always have to question the source yeah that information coming out Right. Because you hear this character stuff and I'm I get really careful with character stuff. I don't talk to these guys. I don't talk to their coaches. I don't talk to the coaches that are in the room with them, the pro coaches. I don't talk to the players largely. I got my first chance to do that at the senior bowl last year. You still aren't going to know the player, the person. Right. He's going to tell you what you want to hear. Mostly you can get a sense of that, but you're not going to come away. And when you hear that sort of, I'll call it character assassination stuff, where this is like, oh, he's difficult. He's not coachable, doesn't love football, all this kind of vague stuff. You really have to look at the source. And many times the motivation for that is we're trying to get that guy to drop like two spots because we really want him. Right. Or we yeah. don't want him to go to our rival. Right. Let's saw this happen to Justin Fields right now. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to bring to you. Is we could have a whole conversation yeah. about what happens to black quarterbacks in the process because that is yeah. that goes on for sure. Yeah, because I see some comparisons now. It's probably not the best story now because of everything that's happening with Deshaun Watson. But when when it came to that kind of draft where you started to see him slide when everybody saw the ability that he had in college. And I know at the time there was a lot of people questioning his arm strength because there was i can't remember what drill that they did but it was the numbers that they thought it was yeah it was that speed (laughs) yeah so i remember that coming out and that was one of the reasons and then i hear the story that dan orlovsky came out with about a week ago and and since has kind of pulled back on it and it was one that shocked it was one that shocked me where he was where he first he questioned his character where like you said it's very hard unless you're kind of talking to multiple sources of it or that you know somebody that's in the room and then also the fact that he doesn't make his progressions as well it seems like it and i'll give this one to you neil it does seem like this is kind of a a common thing that happens kind of year after year that there's at least one prospect whether it's a quarterback or kind of it's usually one of the strengths of the particular draft that somebody does get brought down and we're seeing it this season with justin Fields, like 
for the entire season, I've always had it in my mind that it was between kind of Lawrence Wilson and Fields and the other kind of two or three quarterbacks after that were kind of a little bit behind. We're starting to see all the hype over Mac Jones now where all the reports are that the 49ers traded all those picks to move up to three to select Mac Jones. So this is kind of a, a two-part question. I guess the first one is, were you surprised when you've heard a lot of this kind of Justin Fields possibly falling in the draft? And then also, were you surprised that the 49ers traded up to three and then all the reports are that they're going to be taking Mac Jones? Well, I, I think with uh, if, if you look at what's going on or what has happened over the course of the year with Mac Jones and Justin Fields, a lot of similarities are, are have been happened, have happened over the course of, of their progression throughout the course of uh, of the year and uh with, with mac jones it's well he's just not that athletic right with justin fields he doesn't process well now i, I think what what the, the the lack of of being able to process with justin fields is is that if, if you if you uh go ahead and, and put lawrence and fields side by side right lawrence has basically been running the offense since, he, since he's been a freshman he's a second coach on the field and that's why he's the no doubt number one pick right he's basically peyton manning with better athleticism and a stronger arm all right. As far as like what he means to that team on the field, they, they, they give him the absolute green light to go ahead and run the offense to audible to whatever he sees. And you see the, the type of success that he's had at Clemson over the course of four years. He's been there. That kid that has done nothing but win since he's been a freshman in high school. Right. With Justin Fields, he's been had to be dealt with with kitty gloves a little bit. That's not to say that he's he, he's he's not a dumb kid. He's not he doesn't lack intelligence. It's just, uh, you know, the the limited amount of time that he's actually spent at Ohio State and the limited amount of time that he's been able to be around these coaches after he transferred there with the whole COVID thing and everything else, they, he's he's had to rely on that coaching staff glancing to the sideline during the games, not necessarily being given the green light the entire game to be able to go ahead and audible to whatever he sees. Now, on that note, Justin Fields is supremely talented. And whatever team actually ends up getting that kid, I mean, obviously he's you know six two plus two hundred twenty five pounds with a four 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 with a strong arm and game breaking you know ability with with his legs. But the thing I love about Justin Fields is the fact that he is a legit dual threat quarterback that doesn't rely on his legs to make plays like some of these other guys have done, you know, historically, like Mike Vick, like Lamar Jackson, relying on their legs a whole hell of a lot more than they have you know relying on their arm, you know, juxtaposed to Justin Fields. You know, with 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 Mac Jones, you know what he's done with his meteoric rise from the first time he stepped on the field against Mississippi State two seasons ago to now is what you see with him is this this, this uh, exponential growth from a kid that went from deer in the headlights to you know the most polished you know quarterback on the field, winning national titles, making throws that you know you need to make in the NFL. And he went ahead and proved that twice again in, in, in pro days, being able to make all his throws, running the huddle. And I, I think with Mac Jones too is that once you actually get you know within the head of Mac Jones, you you find a kid that um you, he keeps everything loose. And and I think a lot of times, you know, being able to you know keep things loose with your teammates, keeps all, all the jitters away, keeps keeps guys from getting tight and just allows the team to go out and, and perform and, and execute without thinking about the next player, thinking about the play before. Uh, he's got a lot of leadership characteristics that teams crave. And, and again, that's not to say that Justin Fields doesn't either. Both both those both those kids, and I think if you watch Ohio State's pro day, you saw that leadership come out in Justin Fields. And so I, I think what, what you see with uh, with Justin and with Mac 
is a lot of that that BS behind the scenes, you know, just throwing stuff out there to sort of get kids to drop or to move or to kind of position yourself so that you're 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 in place to be able to take the guy that you want. Um, it seems like you know the 49ers are gonna go ahead and take Mac at three, which is where I have him. Um, and it honestly shocks the hell out of me that Atlanta's trying to be in the business of moving their picks. I figured that they would take Justin at four. I mean, it seems like, you know, Lawrence and, and Wilson are going to go one, two. I mean, that's, that seems like it's been the, the, the case for, you know, two months now, but, um, I, I, th I think it, it's, it's, you know, just going back to what's, what's been happening with Fields and Jones with uh, the, the, the rumors that are, that are spread about these guys in, in terms of like their mental capacity or their athleticism or all, all the, the, uh, really like all for not, you know, weaknesses that these guys have that they actually don't is uh, something that needs, it, it, it's got to be eradicated from this pre-draft process. Yeah. It's, it's one of those that we do see every season. And there's two points that I kind of want to piggyback off there and I'll give this to you, EJ. And one of the points about Mac Jones, where you mentioned Neil, that you saw that kind of improvement since it, since the start. And that's kind of what you want to see, because when we talk about which we will kind of the day two or day three quarterbacks, you see kind of flashes early on in, their, co their collegiate career but you often don't see them improve over time when when they probably should and that's where I think you do kind of see the difference because how many times do we see before the season that somebody comes out into the draft that nobody's expecting them to be a first round pick they play exceptionally well in college and it's only their the first round pick like we've seen with Mac Jones and you ask people before the start of the season where do you think he would go if he declared for the draft I, I would wonder how many people would say the first round from last season's take because you did see that improvement. So, EJ, where I kind of want to focus with you is kind of on the Justin Fields um, kind of talk because I think we can probably safely assume with kind of the reports that have come out that we're probably having kind of Lawrence, we have Wilson, and we have possibly Mac Jones going three. With the Falcons sitting there at four, Neil's mentioned that he's not sure why they would want to move for a team like i know we there's been a couple of teams that i've mentioned before this the bears that would have to move really really high up is he the type of quarterback that's worth kind of as they would say in kind of baseball is like sending the farm for because for me for all the time i've watched justin Fields since he kind of started off in in georgia and then moved over to ohio state and it was one of those that i've always enjoyed watching him play when Neil talks about him that he's not just solely reliant on his legs, but he can be a dual threat quarterback. The one person that kind of sticks out in my mind in terms of that style has always been Russell Wilson. And then we've been hearing all the reports that the Bears wanted to trade all of these picks for Russell Wilson. Is he the type of player that if you were trading up for a quarterback in the draft, that's the style of player that you need to kind of, that you would actually give up those kind of extra capital for? Yeah, I think you have to. And that's not only a statement about who Fields is and what he is as a player, but also about the statement of your franchise and the statement of the modern NFL, which is if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. And and fans will rail against that. They'll they'll go back 20 years and say, "Oh, Ravens, Trent Dilfer, right? Different game." Right? The modern NFL is not that game. And if you don't have a quarterback that is at least mid-level functional or better, I would say top third. Look at all the teams that were in the playoffs last year. Look at all the Super Bowl winners. They all have the guy. And if you don't have the guy in the modern NFL, you do whatever you need to do to get that guy until you get him, and then you build around him. There's this, oh, build it, build it, build it, and then you can go get the guy. No, because 
If it was a sure thing, everybody would have one. So the Bears don't have a guy. Andy Dalton's not the guy. They don't have anything else on the roster that even resembles a starting quarterback. So you need to get a guy. If you're going to take a swing, you take a swing for a proven commodity like Russell Wilson or a guy with the potential to be that guy. And Justin Fields is, let's be clear, a guy with the, the easy potential to be that guy. Will he be that guy? Numbers say half the guys that go in the first round won't be that guy. And that's sort of generous. It's a little less than that. It's 40-something percent. Um, so, But you have to take the swing because your organization doesn't have anything and he has the capacity. So if you're going to do it, and it would be ludicrously expensive to move from 20 to 4, uh, just redonkulously expensive. Um, but if you're going to take that swing this year, you take it for fields. You don't take it for a guy below that. Right now, if Trey Lance slides farther and the cost reduces, maybe you decide we really like what we see with Trey. We're willing to do that because now he's at nine or he's at 10 or maybe he slides to 11 or 12 and you're only talking about an eight spot jump. That's very different than getting into the top five draft capital wise. So, you know, yeah, you take the swing if Justin Fields slides a little bit as far as the Atlanta situation. It's all about cost, right? Matt Ryan's not going to last forever, but they pushed all his money to the next two years. His dead cap hit next year is $42.5 million, right? That is a significant chunk of your cap, even if the cap rebounds, as everybody says it's going to with the new TV money, even if the cap goes up to 220, 225, talking about $45 million in one guy. And typically, if you pick a quarterback in the first round, it's to play them. Now, they may sit for a year, but next year you're in that situation. You cannot physically get rid of Matt Ryan. So you're paying a guy $42.5 million to sit on the bench. It's very nice insurance, but from a team-building perspective, those resources have to be spread around. So I could see Atlanta saying, hey, we're going to drop from four to maybe eight, nine, ten. We're still going to get a player that we want that's going to help us this year. And we're going to get first-round picks for next year. So we could be a, a year farther along with Matt Ryan than bringing a guy in that's going to sit for a year. And when we can get rid of Matt the next year, we've got a guy in the barn. So we're just deferring that ability and we're still getting a player we want. I think that could be really attractive for the Falcons. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I guess in terms of what we've been hearing over the last kind of week or so, I know the rumors have just kind of been rumbling up and we don't know where that's coming from. Like I found it quite peculiar that, once all the kind of Mac Jones stories came out that we started hearing about the Falcons and normally you would, it's not like something changed. So like we all knew that the first two picks in the draft are going to be two quarterbacks. And you could probably assume that a quarterback was probably going to go three. And the fact that now we're hearing all the stories, that the Falcons were engaged in talks with different teams. Does that tell you anything, Neil? Does it tell you that maybe they believe that it's a three quarterback really draft or do you think that they just decided that it wasn't worth kind of staying at staying or where where they would want to stay at for that maybe it's been more beneficial for them like ej said that you have to pay matt ryan anyway so kind of pulling back a little bit might actually be more beneficial for the club long term well, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, now that I know that it's a $42 million cap hit, that's just astronomically, unbelievably large. I mean, that, that, that's, I, I didn't know that, you know, prior to the show today. So that, that sort of, um, 
it gives me a little bit different viewpoint of, of where the Falcons are on this process. I think that a lot of the genesis of what the Falcons are trying to do right now is being a, being a position to take one of these two guys, seemingly they're going to go towards the back end of the top 10 either fields or lands and, and bring them into, for lack of a better word, mentor underneath uh, Matt Ryan for the next one, two, three years. While Matt Ryan still has a little bit of tread left on the tires, um, I, I think it, it, it's it, at that point it's it's very lucrative for the Falcons to go ahead and try and look at Trey Lance at uh, you know the back end of the top ten, and I think that you know everybody and and their mother in the entire you know you know Draftnik you know community saw going into the season Lance Fields or uh, Lawrence Fields Lance as one two three before Mac Jones and Zach Wilson had the kind of years that they had. Um, and I, I even think that as much on, on the Zach Wilson train as I've been since, since August, um, I still wasn't hundred percent sure that he'd be a first round guy until we got to, you know, Boise state, I think it was in October and we got to, uh, you know, San Diego state in December that, uh, you know, he was going to be a first round guy. And so like the meteoric rise with, with Zach Wilson, I think is partly on account of hype, but he did some magical things throughout the course of this year that, that, uh, you know, a lot of teams looked at him and saw, um, some a little bit of uh, Pat Mahomes in them, um, a little bit of Russell Wilson in them. You know, they, they they saw some you know future Hall of Famer traits in uh, a kid like you know, uh, you know Zach Wilson, and I think you see a lot of those same traits with 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 Justin Fields. I think you know if if I go back to some of the the preliminary conversations I had with scouts in the community about Justin Fields, you know, one scout gave me the uh, the term superstar potential, and another scout gave me you know two comps, and one of them was Russell Wilson. Right. And so I, I think with with Justin Fields, it's just a matter of he might just have a little bit more to uh, uh, to have seasoned within his game, within his process, within his football intelligence, whatever, whatever the the the, the, the um, not, not not the drawback, but the uh, the, the rawness of Justin uh, of Fields is um, that that's probably the reason why that he's dropping. But I think what the Falcons are looking at right now is that they do have a couple years left on, on the on the tires with uh, with Matt Ryan. It's looking more and more, uh, you know, uh, you know um, like uh, you got Fields and Lance dropping towards like the back end of that top ten, at a position of seven or eight. They're going to have their pick of the two, and I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Fields ends up being that guy. But again, you know, Trey Lance has a lot of unique qualities and a, and a super high ceiling as well with uh, you know his speed and and the, the strength of his arm. He's got a cannon for an arm, man. Yeah. You know, there's a, there, was, there was that one play against Central Arkansas this past season where he's in the middle of being hit off his back foot and fires at 50 yards down the field on the mark. I mean that that's that's absurd. So I, I think that you know they they have a lot of um, a lot of interesting conversations going on in that war room right now and and the facility down there in Atlanta. And uh, I'm not quite sure where they're going to go with that yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go ahead and take quarterback, trade back a couple spots, take quarterback to seven or eight. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I'd assume if they are trading out of four that the team trading up there would be taking one of those quarterbacks, especially if it is someone that's kind of further back. Maybe if it was someone that was at like six or seven that they're afraid that maybe they were identifying a left tackle or something and wanted to move up, then you'd see some difference there. In terms of for the Bears, EJ, because we've already mentioned that it would take something astronomical to actually be able to move up to four. So let's let's assume that the price is too much and not going to be able to get up to four because that is a very realistic possibility that they just won't have the draft capital where do you think the sweet spot is then in the first round in the first round that the bears could potentially move up to select a quarterback if that's what they want to do 
Yeah, it's all going to depend who slides. And I think yeah. you're going to see people be very aggressive. The idea that Fields is going to get to eight or nine um, in the in the public eye, I think, seems possible in 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 teams eyes with the with the true need for quarterbacks out there. I would doubt that very strongly. Somebody's going to make a move. Um, you know, if it's not to four, uh, you know, the Falcons could stay and take another piece. Um, you know, it's probably going to be at five because, again, the Bengals can slide down a few spots, still get presumably the offensive lineman or the wide receiver, the offensive weapon that they want. Um, somebody's going to push up and get fields. He's good enough to do it. So if I, I think we're really probably talking about Lance and Lance would have to slide, uh, you know, fairly far. He did, he has to get by, I think he'll most likely get by Miami. But again, if somebody's really hot to get him, they're going to want to trade up to six. I think he probably slides by the Lions, but I wouldn't be 100% sure, right? They say Jared Goff's our guy, but we hear that all the time. Um, and then, you know, oh, they say it was too good to pass up. And, and you know, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say that they're wrong there because Trey Lance's ceiling, I think, is a lot higher than Jared Goff's. The Panthers probably not with Darnold. That's why they made the trade for Darnold was they looked at this quarterback board and said, eh, you know, we're going to have to trade a boatload to go up and possibly get the fourth best quarterback. Do we want to do that? Is that worth it? So they went out and basically bought some insurance and said, we'll get Darnold. Broncos could absolutely take him. I don't think he's probably going to get by nine. Cowboys aren't going to be all that interested if they stay at 10. Uh, New York Giants could, but they seem to be building around Daniel Jones. So again, it would really sort of open back up at 12. But I think really you're talking about the, the Bears would probably have to go up to nine, not necessarily because of the Broncos, but because somebody's not going to wait after that. Because all these teams have a very similar view of who needs them, who's got ammo, who's willing to move, who's got a starter in the barn, who doesn't. Uh, it you know maybe nine, and that's you know it's eleven spots. Um, the value is oh, hang on, let me do this real quick. Um, the value is quite a few points. Depends on which scale you use, but if they're going to go from 20 to 9, um, they're going to have to make up a lot of points, 500 points. So the value of 20 is 850. The value of 9 is 1350, 58% um, of value between those two difference. That's that's still a chunk, right? You, to get yeah. into the top 10, top 10 is pricey real estate. And I'm not sure Lance slides beyond 10. If he does, you it's a real possibility. Like the bears will be on the phone with every pick after that saying, what do you, what do you want? Not necessarily we're yeah. going to do it, but what do you want for 10 or 11 or 12? Like that's when it's going to heat up. They might be that way at nine. Again, I don't, I don't pretend to know what, <laughs> what yeah. pace and nag you're doing right now. Um, I think that's, those are I don't some think pretty hard. They know what they're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> they say they do. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, hey, EJ, I, I don't want to, I don't want to no, you know, cut in, in in your thought, but uh, you start talking about point values and, and percentages and everything else. Like break, break that down a little bit more in terms of, 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 of the type of capital of, of the package that would be uh, needed to be sent to a, a place like Denver moving up 10, 11, 12, 13 spots. Absolutely. If you're going from 20 to nine, you got to make up 500 spots or 500 points. Sorry, not 500 spots. Um, so real quickly, hang tight. As you're doing it, it's, it's an interesting one because we talk about being in the top 10 if you, if you want to go get one of those quarterbacks. And the one thing that kind of goes is you mentioned it's 500 points. If you're going to have to give up a boatload, yeah. would you 
I, I kind of come from this in two angles. One from the Falcons is who do you want to trade with? Would you rather trade with a team that's desperate to get up, which we've seen that pace has been with a lot of the trade talks we've we've heard with them being involved with Stafford early on with Wentz and then obviously with um, Russell Wilson. Maybe that that's somewhere where they can get even more out of the Bears that they couldn't get out of another team. And then I guess for the Bears angles, if you have to trade up to nine and trade up quite a lot for the fifth quarterback, if you were able to give up <laughs> that more capital, would it not be worth, even though it will probably look really bad and people will complain that you've given up so many picks to get up to four, maybe if you're comparing the two, because like you said, and we're going to go through that in a minute, that maybe it's just worth giving up those extra bits of draft capital if it's this year and future years maybe that's worth it but again it comes down to what do they think of justin fields and what do they think of trey lance and what's the difference for them between the two because ideally none of them would start in 2021 anyway yeah fields had more of a chance to do that he's he's seen more games he's seen more yeah. high level defenses he just has more more time on the field he's seen more offenses he's been in more systems uh you know trey had the most resplendent freshman year ever uh, came out, played one game and uh, you know, he's got unlimited physical potential. Neil talked about his arm. He runs like a running back. He's 220 pounds. He runs guys over um, the guy that comes to mind when I watch him. And this is going back a bit is Steve McNair, right? McNair at Alcorn state, big physical, solidly built guy. Who's got a big arm. Um, but Lance is farther along as a passer than McNair was at Alcorn State, but he's equal to him as a runner. So um, in terms of what it would cost to get up there, you're looking at you'd have to give up 20, of course. 52 and 83 puts it a little bit in the favor of Denver if we're talking about going to nine. Yeah. If you drop 83 out uh, – or sorry – I'm saying 83. Yeah. If you drop 83 out and replace it with 164, um, it's more in favor of the Bears. You're about, you still need to make up about 100 points if you do that. So you're going to have to add, oh, probably the next pick in line. 204 isn't worth 100 points. So really, you're going to, you're going to give up 52, 20, 52, 83, and some, they're going to give you something back in the lower rounds. So you're going to give up basically the top half of your draft. Um, I mean, and, realistically yeah. speaking, though, we're we're not going to give up the top half of, of all this draft. We're going to go ahead. We're going to give up twenty. We're going to give up probably a first round pick next year. And the actually a first round pick the year after that, right? And, yeah. and may, maybe even a piece that's currently on your roster, right? I mean, we're we're not we're not talking about yeah, just this, because this there's going to be competition too. That's the thing is, if there's no competition and and a guy like Lance starts a free fall. Ryan Pace has shown time and again that he will bid against himself. And it's sure. one of his worst qualities as a GM is that he will, without any sort of like, hey, they put in their offer, put in a better offer. He'll just be like, I'll give you more. And yeah. you're right. He's going to throw future first round picks. And that's uh, that's difficult because depending on what you think about the Bears uh, decision making structure and how uh, hot or firm you believe their seat is. Um, that's, you know, kind of gutting the team's resources as they move on. So it's, it's a dangerous proposition and they're going to have to be in love with Trey Lance, not like, because again, Trey's not going to be the guy that's going to come in from game one and give you a better chance than Dalton right now. You're going to bring him in, in game, you know, ideally eight or 10. Uh, and he's still going to have that learning curve. All rookies do look at Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert, best rookie season as a quarterback ever, like shattered records. How did the chargers do? 
right? Overall, right. they still didn't win a lot of games and he had an amazing season. So to imagine that a rookie is going to come in and, and put you over the top in a year when a lot of people say, this is the year you heard George McCaskey say it, there has to be improvement. Like Lance isn't that guy. So you, you got to be sure that a, you're going to be here more than one year so you can reap those benefits. Uh, and I'm not sure that they're that sure, but we'll see because again, I have, um, <laughs> misestimated, underestimated, wrongly estimated Ryan Pace more times than I can count in his late tenure. In, in his early tenure, I think we were sort of more aligned or I understood better what the plan was. Um, of late, a lot of the decisions, especially around quarterback, have been head scratchers for me. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one that you mentioned that because I go back to even if the Bears traded up to four, uh, personally, I still would want the Bears to wait before actually playing Justin Fields because the one thing you actually look at it there is I feel if that does happen and they do trade up then you, it's pretty much an indicator that both Nagy and Pace are not getting fired because they're basically getting themselves a security blanket there because you then because if the ownership allows a trade like that to happen they've convinced the ownership that this is the guy this is our answer moving forward but you need to give us time because he's not going to be ready and yeah. and look I guess the one the one thing is if the Bears did give up whatever was the first second round pick, and you're looking at future picks like we saw with the 49ers plus a little bit more. I think Bears fans could probably stomach that if it was moving up for four for Justin Fields because a lot of people have seen Justin Fields, seen sure. how he is, and seen the traits because we're all kind of obsessed with really wanting Russell Wilson. And if you have someone in the pipeline that has the kind of abilities that Wilson had kind of when he was coming out, is you can project that going forward. And I think more people would be happy with that sort of trade where I feel that you might get a bit more backlashes with the Trey Lance. Like you said, he's, he had one excellent season at North Dakota state, got to play one game and isn't really ready to give up quite a lot of your draft board or your draft capital this season, or even going into kind of future seasons can be quite difficult. So in turn, look, let's, this could all not happen. They could stay at 20, so I guess one of the things I wanted to ask, just in, based on kind of the positions that they are drafting in, is what positions in the draft, and I'll start with you, Neil, do you think are the strongest? Because we see this every single year, that there's some some years that the wide receiver, there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of talent. We saw the likes of last season with Darnell Mooney coming in in the fifth, in the fifth round. We've I know there's been a lot of talk about the offensive tackles and there's been a pretty decent amount of talk about wide receivers, but in your own opinion, which kind of positions do you think are the strongest coming into the 2021 NFL draft? Well, I, I think the deepest position by far and away, head, you know, head, shoulders, knees, and toes is the wide receiver position. Wide yeah. receiver position is one of those positions where you can, you can take one with the last pick in the draft and still get a guy that's probably going to contribute day one. Um, I have 43 draft grades on wide receivers going into this week. And so with, with still actually a couple handfuls more to just you know, circle back on and and you know cross the cross the eyes of dot the T's so to speak. But uh, if you're talking about team needs, right? Uh, because I mean, really going into this, there there's very specific needs that this team has. Number one is the quarterback. In my eyes, number two is offensive tackle. Number three is inside linebacker. Number four is probably wide receiver. Um, and that, and that was uh, my, 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 uh, uh, my viewpoint on this, uh, going into some of these offseason moves that they made a couple weeks ago where they got rid of, uh, Kyle Fuller. 
I think cornerback position has elevated some in my eyes. It may be a you know a, a top three or four need at this point, and that's also a position where you can, if you look at it, uh, it's especially on the elite level guys. Um, but from a draft grade standpoint, you probably go twenty to twenty five deep as far as cornerbacks goes. Uh, I think with all four of those you know top needs, and you can even put edge rusher in there as well. But I think edge rusher from from a, uh, a talent depth standpoint is probably only top heavy. Uh, once you get into to the later rounds, you're not getting a whole lot of quality there. You're, you're getting probably role players or uh, special teams guys. And so um, if, if you're going to go ahead and try to replace Robert Quinn this year, you need to go ahead and, and probably take one of those guys in the top three rounds. Uh, maybe yeah. round four if you want to get a developmental guy that just has traits, right? A guy that was highly productive, has traits, needs more development. Um, those are typically the guys that, uh, that, that go around four. But I, I think, you know, if, if you – in a vacuum, if we had our druthers, you know, they go ahead and get the quarterback of the future with that with the first round pick. That second round pick, you spend it on a guy to protect the quarterback. That third round pick, I think, is your replacement for Danny Trevathan. And then the fourth round, you either go with that cornerback, which is, you know, like I said, that that's that's a a, a board that's twenty to twenty five deep. Your wide receiver probably goes the entire draft deep. And then you look at edge rushers, which, you know, is top half deep. And I, I think that's really when, when, you, when you look at it, when you kind of break it down from, from a depth versus need standpoint, that's probably what you're looking at. But again, you know, we're talking about Ryan Pace and I'm not sure the three of us know what the hell is going on inside his head right now. Yeah, it's an interesting one because when you look at that, I the one interesting one that you mentioned there was inside linebacker, because when I think of the needs for the team, obviously, I completely agree with the quarterback offensive tackle. You've wide receiver to a certain extent because look, you're going to be losing Anthony Miller. They're gonna they're gonna trade him for something. We've heard too too many stories now. Mm-hmm. They went in for Kenny Galladay, so I think it's very obvious that they want to bring in an upgrade there. But like you said, you look throughout the draft and there's talent in pretty much. You could look at pretty much every single round. We saw it last season with them bringing in Darnell Mooney. That all they really need to look at is what style of wide receiver do they want to bring in, and it could probably fit. Um, the one question that I would have, and I'll give this one to you, EJ, is with Kyle Fuller going, and you have Trufant that's come in, you have you also had Buster Screen that that's left that you really don't have a nickel corner on mm-hmm. the roster at the moment. And the way NFL defenses are now, 70% of the time you're playing with a nickel corner. So you basically don't have a starter there. So do you think it's possible that the Bears actually spend a second round pick or a first round pick on a corner to try and shore up that kind of nickel defense, very similar to what they did when they did draft Kyle Fuller. He was initially brought in when I think it was Tim Jennings and Charles Tillman were still on the team. Mm -hmm. Tillman goes down and then you see Kyle Fuller get pushed to the outside. I've seen a lot of people talk about Newsom from Mm -hmm. Northwestern. And I guess it doesn't have to be the first round pick, but early in the draft, do you think it would be beneficial that the Bears actually do replace kind of what they would have lost at nickel corner and eventually to see that player kind of move out to the outside. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot to unpack there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I absolutely do. Uh, they made themselves a hole at boundary corner, which I strongly opposed uh, on my other podcast, bears over beers and, and on bootleg football. Um, it was a terrible move. Like, yeah. and, and the justification was wrong. They said it was money-based. It was not money-based. You could have gotten around it. But again, we don't know what went on behind closed doors. Kyle Fuller could have said, I'm out, right? I'm not signing your extension and I'm not taking a pay cut. And, you know, look, if you do that, but again, that's when you trade him. You get something. Yeah, exactly. So Kyle Fuller aside, 
terrible move, but they are, they're looking at Jalen Johnson, who had a very good rookie season, but he's had two shoulder injuries in two years. And you can't count on them. They got extremely lucky that he didn't get injured until the end of the year last year because they don't have boundary corners. They have a lot of guys that they've drafted for nickel. Shelly, Kendall Builder, like they got guys that they want to put at nickel. None of them are proven, but that's why they were comfortable letting Buster Screen go is because they feel like they're going to run one of those guys up. But to your point, you're going to need two because you run nickel 70% of the time and more than you run base, you run dime. So you can either bring in a third safety fourth corner, whatever you want to do, you need a lot of defensive backs and they're short on both, both fronts. So yes, in the first round, if one of the top four big outside guys is there um, and I don't think they're probably going to draft him and bring him at nickel. I think they're going to draft him to be opposite Jalen Johnson because Trufant is great. He's a guy that played high school ball in, in the town that I lived in. Um, know his family and they're, you know, they're awesome, but he's had trouble staying on the field. And it's the same thing with Jalen Johnson. You got a guy with a, with a, you know, typically a shoulder you're worried about, which is a tough injury for a corner. And you got Trufant, who plays great when he's on the field, but hasn't stayed on the field. And if one or both of those guys go down, you're not doing anything in the modern NFL. If you can't slow people down. The other one that's really interesting here is there is a strong shift. If you look at the at the offseason press conference, the moves, the reallocation of salary cap, the idea that they were going to trade Hicks as well as Fuller. They're trying to move what is way too much money in the modern NFL that's currently invested on defense and shove it to the offensive side because the offense has been what has let this team down. The defense has played at a passable level, sometimes a great level. Last year it was somewhere in the middle. The offense has played at an atrocious level that it's not going to win you any games. So there is an organizational perception and there is a public perception. And first-round picks, you know – yeah, it's about talent. Yeah, it's about blue chip players, but it's also about what are you doing, right? You said you wanted to improve the offense and you're picking a corner. Might be the best value on your board, but it's a hard sell. So if one of those top four slides, I don't necessarily think they will because there's a lot of demand for that spot as well. I mean, just like you're picking wide receivers, you you yeah. players to stop wide receivers. If Newsom is there, which would probably be the guy that's on the board, if Caleb Farley slides, he just got cleared medically, um, if you believe his docs, like they're going to look at that. They're going to weigh that and say, where does that go? But more typically, I think they probably go offensive tackle or wide receiver. And you might say, oh, wide receiver super deep. It's the deepest position. I would agree with Neil that wide receiver and offensive tackle are ludicrously deep in this class. So you might say, why would you do that? Because I think you need two. Yeah, because it's just like nickel and dime. You've got Mooney and you've got Robinson, but you're basically starting in three wide receiver sets. And if you're going to get rid of Miller, which I think they will, you're not counting on whims. There's really, you know, Riley Ridley maybe, but hasn't shown it. I'm a Ridley fan, but I, I'm not going to go into the season with that as my only option in a strong wide receiver draft. So I think you take one up high and it can be slot or boundary. I don't care because Mooney can play either and played both really well last year. But later on down, you take advantage of that depth again in the in the fifth or in one of those picks in the 200s. You're still going to have a chance at a guy with size, with speed, uh, whatever you're looking for, return ability, special teams ability. A guy like Tamori Terry, if he slides past the third round, is a guy I want, like I pound the table for. Um, but I think you go too. So if, you know, if Terrace Marshall slides and is sitting there at 20, if Elijah Moore is sitting there at 20, they're going to look at it strongly because the organizational bias is to to beef up the offense, to give Dalton a lot of targets and to get that offense to a functioning NFL level. And the first round might be where they do that. So I would say most likely 
probably wide receiver or offensive tackle, depending on how the board falls and what they think they're going to be able to get before two. That's the other thing is you don't, without moving up, you don't have another pick until, you know, the forties is a guy still going to be there that you want. Um, so I would say that's kind of how that shakes out, but I would not be surprised if they went, if one of the high level corners was there in the first or second round, uh, second round, would probably be more of a nickel guy. Um, or they could get that boundary depth a little later on guy like Ambry Thomas from Michigan or Benjamin St. Justy from Minnesota. Those are like third round guys. And if they're saying, Oh, we've got that guy in our pocket, we're going to get one of those guys in the later rounds. Then you're really going to see them go after offense in one and two. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because I've always been under the impression because when I do look at the wide receivers, there are a lot of talented players later on in the draft. And this is just assuming that, let's say, the picks remain the same because, look, I think we can probably guess that they won't be picking four times in the sixth round. So, But let's say if it was, if it was that, then it, I would kind of get very similar vibes to what they did last season in terms of offensive tackle, maybe take two very late on in, in the draft if they don't take one early on that would be my only other guess um in terms of when we look when we talk about kind of the we've kind of spoken to very strong positions we've neil you've mentioned some of those that are weaker kind of as you go further on in the draft is there any guys and ej has already mentioned one of his wide receivers that you would kind of pound the table for maybe later in the draft that if they would be available let's say in the third round. I know right now we isn't it that we don't have a fourth round pick. It's the fifth round, sixth round. Is there anybody there that, if they were available, let's say just before you're picking in the third or fifth round, that you would be absolutely pounding your your fist on the table for? Well, if, if we're going to stay in the wide receiver room, like the one interesting thing that uh, I took away from some of the things I was uh, researching today is that uh, they had a really interesting uh, conversation with uh, Austin Watkins from uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was a kid that uh, yeah, he spent a week down in Mobile, um, came in at six, one and a half, 207 pounds, had a really nice pro day where he ran well. He caught the ball well. He did all the things well that you wanted him to see do well and has some decent tape. And I think going into his pro day, I was looking at him as, you know, a potential fifth, sixth round guy that can come in and be a slot guy, or maybe you can move him to a, to a, a, a Z uh, and and uh, you know shift Darnell Moody in, inside to to slot to really you know create some really interesting mismatches. I think you know Mooney playing outside is, is nice and all, but you know he he goes ahead and takes the top off. He, he you know he pierces the safeties and and all those types of things. But uh, you know where is where is Darnell Mooney's best fit? I think is where you you first off start that conversation and then try to piece around it. I think one way or the other, you know, one hundred percent, you got to take a receiver in this draft. And again, with a with an absurdly deep. Um, you know, draft group and in, in the wide receiver board, you know, it's it, it's easy to, to to see that, you know, from rounds four to seven, you can easily find a guy that's going to come in and be an immediate contributor. You know, Tylen Wallace is a guy that I see in the fourth round being of absurd value. Um, I, I think Rashad Bateman is a guy that has a chance to slip, you know, to, uh, you know, the, the late, late day two, early day three. Um, Demetric Felton, a guy that if you want to like, bring in a dude to, like, piece into the slot position immediately, that, that creates a, a lot of, uh, you know, mismatches and, and gives you a lot of versatility at the position as both a receiver and a gadget guy, you know, as, as, a, as a dude that came in as a tailback, played a couple years as a tailback, moved to receiver, played it, you know, as a receiver a little bit. He went down to Mobile, played it, you know, that, that position the entire week. Uh, he, he's a guy that, that uh, when, when you ask him what position is he, he's a weapon. I, I don't really classify yeah. him too much because he has multiple skills. And so like, that, that's a really interesting board right there. 
Um, you know, I, I think that there's a potential for some of these tight ends to go ahead and slip a little bit deeper and, and a guy like Matt Bushman that could, you know, potentially, uh, you know, compliment a guy like Cole Komet and, and a dude that, uh, you know, he didn't play um, this past year and uh, has had some injuries. But, you know, he's he's uh, a little bit older of a dude. He's 25 years old. Um, that injury likely will force him out of out of draftability. But, you know, after watching him run around at BYU this past pro day, I wouldn't be surprised to see this guy go late. You know, I think, you know, tight end is an interesting position to where, you know, you can find a piece to go ahead and compliment Cole Komet. And I think those ideal pieces, you're probably going to have to try and, and sacrifice a, uh, a day two pick to try and get. Because if you look at guys like Tommy Tremble, Brevin Jordan, Pat Fryermuth, um, you know, Trey McKitty, uh, you know, uh, Nick, Nick Eubanks is an interesting kid. I think could go like early day three that would provide a lot of, you know, versatility in the tight end room. Hunter Long is a dude that's really shot up as far as his hype. Um, you're, you're looking at guys like day two, early day three that could come in and, you know, supplement that tight end room, uh, but certainly not a, a top priority. Uh, you know, inside linebackers is, is a group that, uh, you know, me and, and the draft tap crew, draft on tap crew are going to talk about here the next time we have a show. And I think once you get into the late day two, early day three, you have some really interesting pieces that you can come in. You, you, you could bring into that linebacker room as potential replacements for Danny Trevath and talk about guys like Chaz Surratt, who I'm not sure I think is is a great fit for the Bears, but he's a he's a really uh, uh, you know loose kid with uh, good agility that uh, just makes a whole lot of plays based on his effort. But guys like Dylan Moses that didn't play in 2019 with the ACL that looked like a little bit lesser of a version of Dylan Moses compared to that 2018 film. If you go back and watch that, that guy is a spider. Um, you know, Nick Bolton is a dude that, that plays merely on, you know, hustle, effort, toughness, and physicality. And re- kind of actually kind of sort of reminds me of Dan Trevathan from a few years ago. Um, Jabril Cox is another guy that that's really, uh, you know, raw that then he's a lot of developing, but has a lot of traits that you like. And then Jameen Davis, the guy that has all the hype in the world right now, after running four four seven four four nine, jumping forty two inches, eleven uh, you know broad jump at six three and a half, two hundred thirty four pounds. Who I think, if you watch the film, and again going back to the whole thing about how you really got to trust your eyes on the film. If you watch the film, he's probably not you know a day two, late day one pick like a lot of guys are saying. But you know with those kind of traits and measurables, you got to go ahead and take a flyer on sometimes late you know late in the draft just to see what you get. At least maybe you get a special team stud. Me personally, I'm not taking him, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know Pace. Who's sort of enamored by stuff that doesn't matter sometimes goes ahead and <laughs> picks him up. Um, you know, uh, in, in terms of, you know, some of these other needs, you know, late in the draft, um, you know, the, I think the, the uh, interior offensive line positions are like really, really interesting. I think you can find some guys later on the draft, like a, like a Ben Cleveland, like uh, Deontay Brown, Robert Jones is a guy that I really love from from a physicality standpoint. I think he's, he's a really interesting, uh, you know, spot, uh, you know, piece to bring in. Uh, as as you know, potential uh, right guard, but uh, you know, with with the way that offensive line room looks, you know, you have pretty much uh, you know, four or five pieces to play three positions. I think you're super deep there, and I don't think you really have to focus on that position too much. I really think that the offensive tackle position is, is where you got to go, and uh, I think there's you know there there's a chance to to uh, find your potential starter there, and uh, you know if if you want to do it round one. You can easily find your starter there. If you want to do a uh, day two, you can find your potential starter there. Guys like Jackson Carmen and uh, Rashawn Slater are extremely versatile pieces that remind me a lot of Elton Jenkins from a versatility standpoint. Guys that could probably play you know multiple positions, and uh, you know if, if they're suitable more at one position than another, they can at least get you out of jam and at the position they're weaker at. And so I, and, you know th- those are guys that I would certainly pound the table for from an offensive yeah. tackle you know standpoint of things. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think you look at the offensive tackle board, 
you know, Peninsula is probably going to be the first one taken. Then you have a bunch of guys kind of clustered up, you know, from the rankings of, you know, two to 10 that really, I mean, if, if you're talking about a right tackle starter, a guy like Liam Eikenberg, I, I think is a guy that could come in and start right away. Uh, Alex Leatherwood was a dude that started off as a first round pick, dropped to midday or mid round. And then now he's back up into probably like uh, late day one, uh, early day two that, you know, is really interesting from a versatility, length, athleticism, power standpoint. So, you know, you really have a bunch of options. It just depends on where you find, you know, yourself with, you know, you know putting together needs and availability and, uh, you know, judging on, um, you know, what works best with the offense that you're trying to have, you know, here in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I'll, I'll give the last word to you, EJ, on this one. We mentioned there about kind of some of the offensive tackles, and it's been kind of very publicly known by a lot of fans that there needs to be improvements on the offensive line. Now, really, all we've seen is Wilkinson come in from the Broncos, and you've seen kind of Jermaine Fetty being brought back. <laughs> Bobby Massey's been let go. So let's say if the quarterback doesn't happen in in round one or if they do trade for a quarterback but still have their round two pick Mm -hmm. um where would you be focused on would you be focused on trying to get one of those kind of top three or four offensive linemen at 20 or do you think that there's enough high quality kind of depth that you could actually wait until 52 and select your kind of starting right tackle then yeah, it's a great question. And it, again, depends on how that board falls and, and what your other needs are. But this tackle class is ridiculous. Um, I I put a thing on Twitter that uh, this tackle class from an athletic standpoint is bonkers. Like, it's off the charts. The guys' relative athletic scores in this tackle class are ridiculous. And you have a lot of guys with good tape. There are so many, and the NFL is so thirsty for that. It comes at a tremendous time. You're going to see a run on tackles. This isn't even a hot take or a wild prediction. You're going to see a run on tackles through round two that's going to spin your head. You're going to see so many tackles go off the board by the end of round two. It's going to be tackles wall-to-wall. There's going to be four or five in the first And then it's just going to keep going. There's going to be easily that many in the second, if not more. People are going to just suck up the offensive tackle talent because it's there. So the Bears could go either way. If they go high, I love Tevin Jenkins, speaking of a pound-the-table guy, as a right tackle. He's a guy that's going to come in and easily displace what the Bears have uh, in the barn there. But you can go lower down. Guys like Walker Little, depending on what you think, might be one of the best pass setters in this draft. Uh, as you slide farther down, uh, Neil mentioned a lot of the guys that are there. Um, I like a guy that's even a little bit farther down. You might be able to might be able to sneak into the third with, and that's Brady Christensen from BYU. Super athletic as a run blocker. Oh, yeah. If you're going to run outside zone, you can put that guy at right tackle right now and go get him. You might need to give him a little bit of help in pass sets. He's super athletic, but if he goes up against a power rusher, he's probably going to need a chip block for his first year. That's fine. He's going to come in and give you, at worst, depth that can play on either side. And again, if you're looking at that, if you're trying to get around the edge and run a wide zone scheme, the Bears seem to have been shifting more to an outside zone scheme. Brady Christensen's a guy you're going to be able to get. And then you can even wait. If you want to go really late, there's guys that nobody's talking about in this class like brendan james from nebraska i think brendan james could start within two years at right tackle and brendan james is going to go in like the fifth or the sixth 
So I'm not saying you bring that guy in and say, hey, he's our savior at right tackle. But if you're looking for quality tackle depth that I think could start in this league within, you know, a couple of seasons, a guy like Brandon James is a tremendous value, even if you take one up high, because the bottom line is Leno's contract situation is going to come up. Right. I think Leno's yeah. fine. I think you leave him there. You got to get a right tackle. But if you're staring at a guy like Brandon James versus some special teamer linebacker that might make the team, you take Brandon James as your third swing and you basically plan that, hey, if we got Tevin Jenkins, we could slide him to left. We could bring in Brandon James at right. And you sort of set that team up for the future. And there's guys like that on the interior offensive line, too. Um, Drew Dahlman, the center from Stanford, is a guy that's going to go way late. Drake Jackson from Kentucky. I think Jackson's a little bit small. He's not a whole lot different than Mustafer, the guy they've got there. And Sam played pretty well last year. But a guy like Dahlman, you want to bring in, you know, center competition later on, you can do it. And if you want to address that position as you think that's the weakest, you know, Creed Humphrey, if he lasts to the pick in the second round, is a guy you have to look at. That guy's a warrior. He's going to unify that offensive line. You'd be looking at, you know, Leno, um, the two guards who should come back really strong. There's strength of that offensive line. You put Creed Humphrey at the pivot in the middle and pick up a tackle even later on, like Brady Christensen, that line looks so different than last year. And Andy Dalton is a super happy guy. Yeah. I think that's, I think as Bears fans, when you look at the two kind of options, this is for me speaking anyway, is that I would either you go the quarterback really early and then you have to try and fix your offensive line later. Or you do what you're saying there, that you do pick up one of these guys that you can possibly play at the right tackle position, or if you're mentioning it, the center position, and then maybe focus on right tackle a little bit later. That really, those are the two positions that the Bears have to improve in terms of the draft, because it's just, it's a very important position. And I guess it's come at a good time that the Bears do need offensive linemen because. Often what's happened in previous times is when they badly need a position, it seems like in that draft, it's the one of the weaker positions and you end up having to kind of move up. The interesting point, and I'll kind of leave it on this, is when you mention that kind of second round, when you see there's going to be that kind of run on tackles, which we do see in kind of different drafts. Sometimes there's the run on corners or the running on, or the run on tight ends that you're probably going to see quite a lot of these tackles that maybe are projected as kind of third or fourth round picks being kind of pushed into that day two, which then, like you said, if there's that run on tackles, that might push some of those wide receivers that you were expecting to go in kind of round two that do come down. So it's, it's really interesting, but it's, it's been great kind of getting some of the scenarios. And that's what I like to do. I like to kind of talk about the scenarios and what could happen rather than kind of looking through a million mock drafts that we see every single day about what's going to happen here and here. I think the scenarios is kind of the most interesting part of the draft and it's kind of what we mainly talk about leading up to it. I just want to thank both of you for, as we said at the start, it's for making time to do, to do things sure. because at this, at this point in time, it's everybody's crazy busy. You're looking at what's going to go on in the draft. Um, I guess before we kind of go, EJ, if you want to let anybody know of all your different projects, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bootleg Football is my main podcast with Brett Coleman. We put out a, a podcast pretty much every week. We're also doing a draft focus live stream just about every week. Uh, we just started our draft focus series of interviews. We dropped one with uh, 
Brandon Thorne, speaking of offensive lines, we talked a lot about offensive line depth. We got two more that we recorded uh, with other folks who specialize in, in different areas of the draft coming out in the next couple of weeks. So that's the big thing. And then my podcast over on Windy City Gridiron, which is the SB Nation Bears site, is Bears Over Beers with Jeff Burkus. And uh, we'll have a couple of draft focus episodes coming out uh, over the next couple of weeks. And then you'll see me floating around on a bunch of other podcasts uh, as time allows. But uh, this has been great. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. And and Neil, yourself, where can people find some of your stuff? I'm sure you're going to be very busy over the next few weeks, kind of leading up to the draft as well. Yeah, my, my, my girlfriend is really kind of pissed at me right now because we don't have a whole lot of time to hang out. We should talk on, about the significant others because they yeah. put up with a lot. My wife is a saint and she is like, May. It's happening in May. Right. Like, that's yes, that's, that's what I told her. It's, like, it's happening in May. We're going so, for a walk as soon as May. May comes around, you know, it's it's going to be open season on on hangouts and going out and date nights and all kinds yeah. of stuff like that. But I mean, she's she's awesome. She knows that you know that this is a this is a passion for me, and uh, yeah, that it's something that I'm, that I'm really good at. So you know, uh, you know, draft on tap is, is the podcast that uh, I co-host uh, through Bears Barroom Network. Um, you know, you see my Twitter my Twitter handle right there on the screen. Uh, draft on tap is at draft tap. And then at Bears Barroom are the uh, are the three handles there. Uh, me and my uh, my uh, co-host Danny Shimon. That's D Shimon fifty six. Uh, every Thursday we go on and we break down a position group. We take we take a deep dive and uh, break down their attributes, break down some of their backgrounds. Uh, we talk about the Bears a little bit, the situations, the rumors, you know, Pace and Nagy, uh, the ridiculousness there. Um, you know, all the uh, you know uh, you know collaborative fidgeting going on inside House Hall. Uh, but uh, so every every Thursday, draft on tap goes live eight o'clock uh, here uh, Chicago time. Um, we got uh, we got a, a show that uh, we didn't get around to going live with on this past Thursday. Talk about the inside linebackers. Uh, that's uh, to be determined when we're going live with that show. We were scheduled to go ahead and talk about DBs this upcoming Thursday. Um, what you guys will want to look out for is draft week. We have a ton of content coming out. We're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball, you know, release our offensive boards, uh, talk about the defensive side the, the, the next day on Tuesday talk, and uh, release our defensive boards. Um, we'll have a mock draft special, which we might do live on location somewhere. Uh, a, a big wrap up show that Sunday um, that, uh, you know, is, is basically going to, you know, talk about all the draft picks and talk about the draft in general. And, you know, it, it's, it's just a ton of content that we're bracing for. It's going to be a rough week that last week of April, but it's going to be a lot of fun, man. This is, this, this is a lot of fun for us, man. You know, the, uh, the wise man always told me that uh, if you could find something you love to do, you never get work a day in your life. And damn it, you know, I, I, I love what we're doing. So this has been a lot of fun. Um, my man, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm open to coming on anytime you need me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great having you guys on. Again, getting to talk about the draft has always been something I've been interested in for, for a while. And kind of starting this podcast, which we've kind of just recently kind of revamped in the past couple of weeks. So it's been really great having you guys on. Again, we'll have our weekly show every Wednesday. It's usually about 8 o'clock Irish time, which is around 2 o'clock in, in Chicago time for anybody watching. Um, just make sure that you subscribe to the show. It's Again, all the live shows will be on Twitter at Irish Bear Show and also on our YouTube page. We also stream on, on audio, so you can listen to us on Google Podcasts. You can listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, all the kind of usuals. And we'll get back with another show next Wednesday. So stick with us and we'll get back to you next time. Thanks, guys. Cheers.